Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 7th of February 2022. Nowadays, the market moving £10 in a day is kind of like normal. It's a sort of market that you could describe as the widow maker. But if you think wheat is exciting, just take half a look at the soybean and the oilseed rape markets, because they really do blow your mind some days. All right, so we'll start with oilseed rape. Old crop, £6 million a tonne. New crop, currently harvest movement immediately, you're cutting it, 495 into one of our local stores. I mean, everybody wants 500, so I guess we'll hold our breath and it'll get there. Or maybe it won't. It's a very volatile market. The crop, to me, looks in reasonably good condition in the fields. It's had a bit of frost on it, knocked it back a bit. Largely, there's good ground cover. The pigeons, this is a sweeping statement, driving past at 50 miles an hour, seem to be leaving rape alone. And they're quite happy with spring barley at the moment or something like that. So I apologise to anyone who spent last night outside getting rained on, pulling a trigger every now and again, trying to get rid of pigeons. Let's start with barley this time. Feed barley, X farm for March. Tried to go up, snuck up a little bit, sort of 203, 204. It's now coming back on the back of weaker wheat market, so I would value March feed barley at 200x. I am very boring about feed barley. As the season gets towards the end, it always dies to death. There isn't that much barley around this year. I accept that. There might be some keen buyers at the end who think there's a plentiful supply. Yeah, you know, 200 feed barley. Again, it's one of those moments that's not what we'd call normal. Harvest movement feed barley around about 166x farm. And you kind of add £8 to that, £7 to that for a November price. Moving on to malting barley. Old crop is really now, all of a sudden, nobody wants to buy it. Now, that does not mean the market is over or dead and buried, because there are people who are still short. But there does seem to be a plentiful supply of malting barley coming out of the woodwork. A number of seed lot can be converted into malting prices, which must be incredibly tempting, because it's way higher than even seed prices. So, yeah, it's kind of killed the market. It's dropped a good 15 euros, I reckon, on the FOB market. There's more sellers and buyers, if any buyers at all. And the maltsters in the UK had a fair old smack during February from people selling to them. I would suggest that it isn't all over in terms of there will be buyers as a malting premium. Whether you get £300 a tonne for it is another story. It's eased off a bit, but we're talking about very finite amounts of barley. We've really genuinely got rid of just about all of ours. There's little surpluses here and there that we've got just in case some of our bulks fail. I don't think we're exceptional in that. I think anyone holding a stock when it was £300 a tonne is kind of deluded. So I would have thought most people like us sold it. So, yeah, if you've got a sample of it to trade, present it to us. We will come back with a fantastic value, albeit just off the top. A new crop malting barley should achieve a price in East Anglia of 200 plus. 
obviously a lot of contracts are nowadays related to the futures price because it kind of gives it a concrete value for actually bothering to plant malting barley to take some of the risk out. Your winter malting barley is beginning to ease back a bit on that because the futures on wheat are dropping as well. So as the kind of Putin risk seems to be diminishing or everyone's got bored with it, the market's easing back down again and the crop does look in good shape. Plus, we've seen a fair bit of spring barley planted now into very good dry conditions, albeit probably the soil temps aren't that high and probably the cold snaps to come might not do it the world of good. There's nothing quite like a seed bed being in perfect condition to put a crop in. So I think that's some wise decisions for one or two to have the odd field in. So finally, feed wheat. I would say feed wheat, old crop, prices are heavy. I fully appreciate the north of England has got some gargantuan premiums being paid at the moment, which is fine, but there isn't an easy way that you can cover all the logistics for that. Even paying 20-odd pounds a tonne for haulage to Yorkshire from Norfolk, which is a lot more than we used to pay, it's very hard to find the lorries committed to doing that. So there is a very big demand with Vivergo coming on stream. They should be getting up to full tilt by the end of March, early April. And that big demand has got to be fed. It seems to be fairly dried up in the north of England. Ensus, you know, a big demand. Word has it they might be looking to switch into maize. And some of the premiums into Scotland are enormous at the moment. I think those premiums will erode, and I think they will erode because we'll find alternative sources of grain on boats from other countries. So the cure for 200-odd pounds a tonne is always available from somewhere else who thinks, hang on a minute, there seems to be enough stock in Europe, I think it's going to start coming our way. Doesn't solve the logistical problem in East Anglia, i.e. stores full of wheat and, you know, doing grain with its futures store stock sitting there pretty idly not being used. At some point, it's got to cost itself in to be used. So my prediction is that physical prices will stay reasonably firm in East Anglia. They'll probably drop in the north because they'll find a solution. And futures prices will become the poor relation and they'll drop away. Unfortunately, the wild card in that is obviously the Russian situation. If he does decide to step over the border or drive from Belarus straight down the road as opposed to come across the frozen land on the east, then Mr Putin could make the market do something pretty weird in about five seconds flat. It's a hell of a game to play, and as I say, £10 movements, the minute the news flash comes in and says the tanks are rolling, then up she goes. Not a game for the faint-hearted. But market, I believe, is heavy, and I think we have got enough wheat, and I think that demand destruction, as it's called, is beginning to have an impact. New crop is related to old crop. It's having the same sentiment. It's easing back. It's not going down quite at the same pace, but we're talking about values of about 188 X farm for November, which would take harvest to be around about 181, 180, 181, something like that. If you're a store member, you would be 193 X for November versus 187, 188. Shineth the light on the benefits of being a store member with doing grain, eh? Right, with that, thank you. I think we'll move on. I've got to say that the podcast last week with Bob King was very well received and a lot of people have commented on it. I've got to say, I think this one, the one that's coming now, is absolutely superb. It's a brilliant analysis of how 2021 harvests kind of ended up, how it got to where it did and why prices hit record highs. It really breaks it down. The conversation, if you don't follow all of it first time round, listen through it again. It's kind of an education of how many influences there are and how one event can be coped with, but two or three together, you know, so a bad European harvest, a disappointing Danish crop, followed by Canada not having the goods to supply to the markets they'd made. 
all of those these things all of a sudden sends the market through the roof and it's a great lesson for anyone and probably another thought if there's any little spot who's going to Harper Adams who hasn't done anything towards his project yet he could base a really good thesis on this conversation you know it's one of those things where the level of knowledge about what's going on is so good and all of the factors coming in it'll make it look like you did loads of research and you're really clever so if you know anyone who's a bit behind with the project give them a nudge and get them to listen to the podcast Anyway, we're going to hand back straight back into Bob King and myself for part two. Look forward to you enjoying this one. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. If ever there was a time to own central grain store tonnage, it's now. Yeah, Grain at Cantley takes the worries and stresses of grain drying and storage away. Members of the store can harvest without delay and can bring their produce in the day it comes off the combine, all with discounted drying and servicing charges. Call 01493 700 or 01263 for details. Yeah, Grain, providing the grain handling you need. Welcome back, Bob King. Thank you. This week we're going to talk about the market because in both of our experiences it's never been as high as this before, has it? No. I mean, in terms of absolute prices, no. Tell everybody why it's here, Bob. What made it go to €367 a tonne for a cargo? Basic supply and demand in Europe. I mean, if you were in the UK and we were complete Ireland and we hadn't got access to the continent, it wouldn't be an issue. The UK produced more molten barley than it needs, net exporter. If we go back to the late spring, we really weren't seeing any big issues with crops in Europe. I mean, market was doodling along. Yes, in the background, we had the concern that China, because it wasn't going to buy Australian melting barley, was going to Europe. come into Europe. Basically, it was in Europe, but it was buying feed barley. As sort of June developed and things like that, it became apparent that all the crops in probably mainland Europe weren't quite as good as we thought. France, early harvest, spring was... It started to have a bit of a problem. It rained through the bit of the harvest. By that time in Eastern Europe, where we are in Poland and places like that, we could see that we were going to have a real problem. If you looked at the weather patterns, it was a really dry, warm patch sitting in the Baltic, which was yeah. taking in south of Sweden, Poland, a yeah. bit of northern Germany and the Danish islands. So we could see that there was a supply issue there developing, which also, in the case of Poland and Sweden, was also high nitrogen, high protein. So when it came to it, they got relatively low yields of high nitrogen barley, which complicated the area. The Danes, when it got to harvest, had got a reasonable area and reasonable quality, but for some reason the yields were below their five-year average. And what was that about? That Was that about dull weather at the moment? Yeah, the quality's fine, but Mm -hmm. they just haven't got the tonnes they wanted. By now, the situation in eastern France and southern Germany... We've rained like rained. crazy. Traditionally, a lot of barley from east France goes into the German Maltings in Bavaria yeah. and places like that. There'd be barley coming into that area from the Czech Republic, yeah. historically one of the biggest exporters of yeah. quality malting barley. They didn't have any because they were caught by the same hot weather that had gone all the way down through Central Europe. And there was a little bit of barley buying going on by the Chinese, particularly of winter malting barley, which passed it around. And all of a sudden, people were doing this calculation saying that there isn't enough to go around. There was no stocks from the previous year. No, that was a fact. Because yeah. we had high prices right at the tail end of the previous year. Yeah, yeah. Then the market just ran away with itself. We didn't see it coming. Harvest no. was trading at sort of 186 for spring barley mm. delivered for harvest movement. Mm. And then all of a sudden, 
by the time you got to October, the fireworks were going. We were mm. delighted. We thought, this is amazing. Look mm. how much, you know, yeah. we need to do this. And off we sold a load of stuff. All right, we should have done our analysis of S&D. But you kind of believe, ultimately, that prices are never going to go much beyond the higher prices you've ever seen. Yes, yeah. And when you're trading at £240 a tonne, it's mm. kind of pretty heady, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, in the background, wheat prices were pushing up as well. Mm. So, and feed barley was starting with a two as well. There was support there, but multiple premiums got out to the point where they'd never been in terms well, of... 100 pounds a tonne at yeah. one point, whether it's yeah. still there or not. Yeah, so it came down to pure supply and demand. When you've got places like Denmark, where the trade's really in the control of two major players, if they decide not to sell, mm-hmm. which is what was happening... These are co-ops. Yeah, they can control that. France co-ops were buying back their position because the French co-ops, particularly in the eastern France, had sold all this barley before harvest, which yeah. is traditionally what the French co-ops do... Then they had a poor harvest, so the French are buying back as fast as they can. Yeah. And it Fueling feeds on itself. Fire, yeah. And then, yeah, we got into that position that everybody's convinced themselves there's not enough barley in Europe. We have a situation now where we know of Argentinian, definitely, and probably Australian barley coming in. Same time as we were having these problems in Europe, we already knew that Canada had a big problem. Yeah, yeah. So Canada had already sold a lot of molten barley to go to China and into the U.S., Canadians that, hadn't got it. That really was the catalyst, yes. wasn't it? Yes, once the Canadians it came it. up, the Canadians hadn't got the barley to supply, yeah. even to supply their business to China or into the US. And then we saw the market run away because it calculated even off these high prices to send Danish barley yeah. to the US and Canada. Yeah. So we've had three shipments of Danish malting barley, even at those high prices, being shipped over there because they've made these forward sales and commitments. We're in that perfect swirl of demand and no supply. Also waiting on Australia and Argentina to have a good harvest of malting barley just to keep the world going. Have they just harvested the barley in Argentina? Yeah, so the quality and the quantity out of Argentina and Australia is up to where the optimistic people were. Okay. So that has put a bit of a cap on some of the pricing. If they hadn't had that, then God knows where we would have gone because China, at some point, unless it's going to stop brewing was going to have to buy something. So they bought a lot of Argentinian, the Canadian, which is getting replaced. They're still not buying Australian. They're not buying Australian. We think they buy some Australian where they can use it for import-export, i.e. it doesn't get used domestically. It comes into China to port-side maltings and then is exported as malt to Vietnam or somewhere else like that. They can say it's not being used for their tariff. We We believe every word of that. But so long as they're prepared to boycott Australia, mm. then they're always going to be looking our way. As certainly as we step into the next harvest, it's going to be European barley. Yes, so the first malting barley they can access mm. will be French six-row winter barley. So there's quite a big programme already for shipments in July, August of six-row barley. So the market will be sitting there waiting for the French to have a good six-row harvest because that's the first barley's got to go. Yeah, we relied on the French last year on the wheats, and they didn't mm. turn up. The Chinese will have shipped out whatever Argentinian there is mm. all the way through. Then they'll be waiting on the French, and then it's the Canadian and the European spring barley after that. Everything to play for, isn't it? This spring is going to be critical. That's the only word for it, isn't it? March, April, if something hot and dry turns up and covers, I don't know, North America, the nerves are going to be jangling, aren't they? Yeah, and Europe's got to plant all its molting barley and get it through before that. So we have prices for this coming harvest which are higher than this time last year considerably. Mm. They might drop a bit, but they'll persist in general terms until the crops are safely in and people have the confidence that there's a crop coming through. But even then, we could have a harvest problem and Europe goes the other way. A smaller planted area in Europe Mm. this year, because we all know winter plantings are up in UK, France, everything else. Everywhere in Europe had a reasonable autumn, so 
plantings have gone up there. Well, if every acre goes in and you get the usual acceptance rate, there mm. isn't a problem. There is a surplus. Yeah. You know, so if everything goes okay, two out of the last three years, April, May was very, very dry. Last mm. year it rained a lot in May, mm. and that was the thing that mm. brought the nitrogens down and gave us a much, mm. much bigger yield. So let's mm. not forget recent weather patterns are more likely to be dry at the wrong moment in the spring, pushing the quality mm. perhaps higher nitrogen, mm. maybe lower yield, maybe higher screenings, depending on whether it rains in June or not to finish them off. There's everything to play for, and so there is going to be nerves until the last minute on next year's crop, isn't there? Yeah, and you watch the weather patterns. I mean, we know plantings are down in Central Europe, which is now becoming the big importer. Malting barley for our plant over there, it's becoming increasingly difficult to get farmers to grow it when corn is such a, a good return on an easy crop to grow. So we've seen more corn production in Poland, Czech, Slovakia, and things like that. The import requirement of that area is growing all the time. Well, new crop corn prices in the States mm. are at contract highs mm. and sitting there waiting for a difficult spring. I think all the funds along of it. And mm. there's an El Nino, which the ultimate won't run the whole year. But if it does run through March, April, it's going to be a very dry period in planting, which will have everybody speculating yeah. on yeah. their favourite subject. Yeah. In France, they can grow more spring barley. South of Germany, in the area for molten barley production. You've almost got this arbitrage that like you have in the States between soy and corn. Yeah, yeah. We now have it between corn and malting barley. Yeah, yeah. that's going to make me the most money. Yeah. Is there a cure for the UK molster for the tail end of this season? How does he, you know, if he's tight, if someone hasn't got the cover, can you like string it out and start using new crop a bit early? Is that the way they're going to get around it? Well, you can, but you need an early harvest. I mean, traditionally, winter malting barley harvest in July, with its natural dormancy and everything, you'd be very hard pushed to put it into production before the end of October. Early harvest spring barley, perhaps in late July, like that. In a dry year, you might be able to get it into production in the middle of September. Let's just touch on that subject for people who don't know, who are mm. frightened to ask a question in, a, in the middle of a meeting. That is because the barley has not recovered. If you put it in the malting process, it doesn't all germinate. It's the same as if you combine your flagon... Yeah. and then the next day went and put some of those corns in the ground, they're not going to germinate straight away. No. They don't want to be planted till October, do they, really? No. So if that's they... a natural dormancy. You could plant them, but they're going to sit there in the ground waiting for that point where the dormancy breaks. Then they'll produce. But actually, they'll probably rot. A lot of people don't understand yeah. that. You know, dormancy is a real thing, yeah. and, it, and there's a certain date each year that's agreed yeah. to be the dormancy's broken. And it depends entirely on the amount of sunshine as you go towards harvest time. Natural moisture, the grain comes off. Mm. I mean, if you dry barley... You put it back into dormancy. Practically for malting, you can't really use the barley from that harvest. The last two months of the year, you can be using quite a bit of new crop barley. Now, if people are trying to pull it back to nearly three months, mm. then it is really borderline. There's a £100 a tonne difference, yeah. so, so, so the temptation's w- got to be great. Yeah, it will it? be, but if that £100 isn't worth a lot if you get to 15th of August and you haven't got anything to malt because no. you've decided to try and keep as tight as possible and things like that. I mean, what I would say is that in a country that has a surplus of malting barley then there should be no reason why anybody doesn't have enough to go through. And it's only because they haven't invested in grain storage. And I think malting barley being the risky crop it is, why would you ever expect growers without the most high-tech and investment to be able to hold on to malting barley after about February, March, any one I year? Agree. Yeah, that's the story of some of our competitors. It's a different business model. We have a phenomenal amount of money tied up in storage. And as you know, storage doesn't make a return on capital when you build it. All it does is give you the security supply. Mm. You've got it under your own control. And as long as you're good at storekeeping, you've got the supply. It's an expensive insurance. I I know all about this. And, you know, the only people who've been building storage in this county in the last 10 years is you at Mm. Vibra Mm. and us at Yeregrain at Cantley. Because everyone else is going, well, let someone else do it. And it's not just about the cost of the concrete and the steel Mm -hmm. and the actual dynamic of being responsible for it. It's about keeping it in the right condition Mm -hmm. and all that risk, you know. Mm -hmm. If you could outsource that to a farmer and say, you didn't keep it, we're going to default you. It's no good if you haven't got any barley. 
Absolutely, and that was the old thing, you can't malt pound notes. Because I was told that when I first came here. Which comes back to something we talked about last week, yeah. the dynamic of experience. You do have to have a strategic plan or strategic stock. Mm. You do have to sometimes get a bit grubby, don't you, to make sure you've got supply. It's all very well saying, oh, he let me down. You need to have that barley, whatever. I mean, you might have to argue with your financial people in your business that, you know, well, you seem to have a lot of stock on, you paid a lot for that. But I said, the risk of a slightly late harvest or whatever, especially if, like our business, we've been able to run our maltings in the UK all the time I've been here at full capacity. Yeah. As we've gained capacity, we've been able to sell that. I mean, even during the COVID times, when the ability to work at full time was there, we could, because the pubs recovered yeah. up to a point. The distilleries in particular recovered in Scotland. So how do you apportion storage when you've got, you know, specialist things like Marisotta amongst all the other things? How do you make that decision? Is that your decision or is it a production team's decision? For the winter barley, which is the flagon and the Marisotta, if you're in Norfolk, a lot of it's a cash crop. It's got to go somewhere at harvest time. So yeah. the farmers aren't going to hold that. They'll hold some spring barley. So we have a disproportionate amount of the storage tied on winter barley. Yeah. We'll have a lot of winter barley in, which isn't going to be used into the new year. That's taken as part of our business model, but in many ways it also helps to justify the difference between harvest winter barley price and perhaps an autumn winter barley price. We're talking about where the storage is. Yeah, so you've apportioned your, your marathon yeah. a bit then. And then, yes, then after that, we're looking at things that turn over quickly. So yeah. we're making a lot of malt for the Scottish distilling industry, at Rybra in particular. So that's low nitrogen laureate. It's got a relatively short dormancy. We're turning it over. We always want some that's coming in to be dried, some that's resting, recovering its dormancy, and some that's in production. So that was doing that. But then we also, as a business, talking about niches, <laughs> Budweiser production, that's an interesting one. It's a big part of what we do, but it's varieties that aren't usable for anything else. So again, we have to have a reasonably high stock of that. There's quite a few businesses we couldn't do if we didn't have the grain storage, whether it's organic barley... We've got so many different things. We've had to make quite a bit of investment in terms of grain handling, storage, malt packing, and everything mm-hmm. else. It's market-driven, and that's where some of the say for the Marisotta and things like that that's going into the craft brewing industry. So we've got the storage and the infrastructure for doing that. From them, we can ask the salespeople, say, well, yes, we can do that, we can do this, we can't do that. If we were just making large quantities of standard lager malt for the international brewers, UK and abroad, you wouldn't need the grain storage you could rely on well, up to a point, you could rely on third-party co-op stores or whatever, bringing in one specification all the time. Yeah. And then hopefully for the last part of the year, those co-ops can hold it through or whatever. We as a business have to mm. absorb, obviously, mm. all the barley at harvest time. Mm. There's very few people who provide that luxury, if you like, especially if it's a damp harvest. And our problem, if you like, with contracts that we have on mm. storage is everybody's kind of going to want us to store it right the way through to the tail end of the year when mm. really you do need to start getting the place empty, start getting maintenance mm. done and so on. So you strategically mm. need to have stuff going out from earlier. And so that's an annual bun fight, but largely we're reasonably well organised on that. I mean, this current year, there's lots more barley having left the site than usual, and I'd expect it to be more empty than usual yeah. by the time we get Which is a sign of low stocks everywhere as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. 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 So my mm. tactic is to ram it full of wheat and tender on the futures, yeah. just yeah. in case anyone's listening. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our storage is it. we need to be full at the end of the June, because we're going to use barley from the end of June through July, August, September yeah. and October production. As those silos go down each month, we can refill them. We don't come into harvest with empty stores. No. We've got a, no. a, quite a high stock. So yeah, because yeah. You, otherwise you've got nothing to malt. No. Yeah, you're waiting for the dormancy yeah. thing. Yeah. I'm pretty certain there are some. I sense that you don't have a fear about supply this year in just the way you're talking about it. There's some very big prices being paid at the moment. Mm. There's some people who are short into certain maltings yeah. and they're getting hammered on it. Mm. 
I don't think that's going to go away in a hurry, although underlyingly, mm. I can't see the thing ramping up massively further in this no, environment. No, no. I mean, if they're still short in May, June, they could be paying the same price. If it's there, that's just if it's there. And if it isn't, yeah. they'll get by, won't they? They can lose some production. They say, okay, we can't make malt. We might have to bring malt in from somewhere else to replace it. Yeah, it'll it, be price prohibitive yeah. in the end. Yeah. But just actually, I will say this. On the way in, I noticed we've got some spring barley already drilled in the Alchem area. It's been a dry sort of seven, eight-day period. Yeah. So they're beginning to go. There's lots of fields with lots of crows on it. Mm. So it must be spring barley, mustn't it? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I came back down from the Lincolnshire Wolds last week, and yes, all of a sudden, seven or eight dry days, and here they go, yeah. Which yeah. is great, because, yeah. I mean, the, the early stuff quite often is, you know, if, if everything goes to plan, yeah. can be low nitrogen, can be good mm. yielding, as long as the crows mm. haven't eaten all of it. The condition of the soil, following sugar beet that's just come mm. out, it is dry enough, and it looks really good. We're definitely going to have some spring barley for you, Bob. Yeah, yeah. And the winter barley's look okay, so... Yeah. The winter barley's look brilliant. Yeah. I never go that far. <laughs> no, they do, they. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. it needed the cold yeah. spell to knock it back a mm. bit, because it was getting a bit mm. too far forward. But right now, probably still a bit too mm. far forward, but mm. the frost we've recently had, no, I'd say we look good you know people have got to be patient there's optimum times for doing things Mm -hmm. and it's a bit too early the ideal moment for planting spring barley is 10th of march or whenever it is it probably is 99 times out of 100 depending on what happens next my own overview of the coming crop is yeah the uk will be all right because even though the area is down we do get a crop normally i mean if we had a real a real real issue with the weather does it cover the whole of the south and the east and scotland all in one time Will not, France have a yeah. disaster again to yeah. use in the truck? Yeah. Probably not. Mm. Will Germany have that much rain? Will Denmark mm. have that? Yeah. No. The, the probability is that but Europe will have a surplus next year. It could do with a year of surplus to build. The stock to use ratio is low. It needs a build up, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, people would be happy. And there is an assumption that world malt demand as we come out of COVID around the world, will pick up again as brewing picks up. And Europe is the place that's going to supply that malt to Africa, South America and Asia. Mm. Because the malting industry in Europe really was working virtually at capacity pre-COVID. Does that mean more malting's being built there? There's some expansion in Scotland which desperately needs it. There's other bits and pieces around there. But it's always surprised me over the last 10 years when a big malting has opened, you would expect the malt market would go into flux and there would be over capacity. But it always seemed to be picked up. Now, yes, you get a few old plants in out-of-the-way areas of southern Germany shut up and things like that. But in general, the building of capacity in Europe has kept pace with demand rather than getting ahead of it yeah as we head towards the end of this podcast you know the dynamic for 2022 let's just be generous to the farming community here and say you know what happens next as we come into this house and let's put the caveats in obviously depending upon the drought we get this mm. spring or the heat wave we get in june or the flood we get in july and august assuming it's brackets normal is the price going to collapse down to 150 pounds a tonne it's going to follow where a feed barley goes, so we're not going to see £100 premiums. There's no reason why we shouldn't be back to 30 30%, 30% premiums, 35% premiums, yeah. where it should sit. That's a normal supply and demand yeah. situation because barley has to be moved area to area. So if you don't have that sort of premium, you're never going to move barley from the south of England up to the east. Well, I mean, you went back five years when it was costing you 14 or £15 pounds a tonne to move from Hampshire up to here, and now it's £22, £23 pounds a tonne. You need enough premium in there to make it work. I hate to say it, that those trucking costs and things like that have helped East Anglian farmers in particular. Mm. Because we've got to import, so the East Anglian price is now higher relative to export prices. Historically it was, and that's been driven by the need to pull barley away mm. from the south on higher freight rates. And they're not going anywhere. We run a fleet, which if we didn't have that fleet we would find it very difficult even to move malting barley into our places from Norfolk. 
sustainability, mm. you know, we all know the climate is changing. We all mm. know that we're mm. ruining the planet. Let's be negative mm. about it, but we are. And the dynamic of your product is going to scrutinise where exactly every mm. single cost, where every single mile that you have. So strategically, it's going to be the right thing for people to buy things as close as they can possibly to their mm. production unit. And it's mm. going to be equally as important for the producer to aim at those markets as well. This is a two-edged sword. Not, it's not just down to the buyer to pull mm. his socks up. It's down mm. to the actual producer who's going to be asked the same question. Where did your grain go to? And if it's dragged from your farm to, mm. I don't know, Burton-on-Trent mm. as an example, from Norfolk, you can say, well, hang on a minute, there's a massive carbon addition to that mm. particular product. And that will one day be counted. So the Norfolk growers have a ready-made, fantastic niche market on their doorstep mm. They need to make sure they've got in their rotation winter barley, insurance crop, Mm. and spring barley, because this is where the market is, isn't it? Yeah, there's no reason if you're growing malting barley in Norfolk that you don't make a premium for everything you do, because the demand's there. Whether it's us as the biggest buyer in East Anglia, or our other competitors just down perhaps into Suffolk. Your only remaining friendly little bulker who tries to make something else for an old pair of socks. Anyway, Bob, there's two whole sessions. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.